The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. And welcome to episode 8 of The Wizard Files, the special podcast interview series where we go behind the scenes with former staff members of Wizard Magazine. I'm Adam, the man with all the questions, and joining me this time around is a man with all the answers, I assume. He's written for the Marvel Pulse newsletter, Huffington Post, and of course, Wizard, among many other outlets. He's also the head auctioneer for Hunt Auctioneers and co-host of the Generations of X podcast. Going once, going twice, sold! It's Paul Flores. Welcome to the show. Oh my god, bro, that intro, I'm like fanning out right now. I've been binging on your podcast. I'm I'm just like, it's so surreal right now. You guys are like really nailing it. It's, I feel like now I have to defend the 90s comic book scene when it, when it was such a glorious period to just be in it. Yeah, we, we connected over our uh, shared love of the Generation X TV movie. <laughs> you, you nailed it when you were like, I think it was Steven said it, where it's like you were just thirsty to see these characters live, you know, and in person. You know, we did a whole episode on it. You guys went a step farther and actually talked to cast members, which is fantastic. Yeah, we spoke with Heather McComb and Randall Slavin, and we reunited them. And this is the first time they've given a joint interview about the Generation X movie in, like, years, man. And it was gnarly. They gave us a little task, which was to find Buff, the actress who played Buff, and the actress who played M. So if anyone knows Suzanne Davis or Amaryllis, please let us know at Generations of X, because we are on the hunt for M and Buff. We gotta get it done. Gotta get it done. And Steven <laughs> Sapellus, who I did our special episode with, he was dedicated. He's like, okay, the minute we hear that they found them, that we have to buy the tickets to that Comic-Con, we're going together. I'm like, yes, 100%. <laughs> We've been waiting long enough. He sent me the video you guys got of Heather oh. uh, kind of trolling him. The cameo video, that was awesome! Oh, she was so cute in that. That was great. Well, she has such a, I, I said this during the interview, she has such an infectious energy. She's so happy and she loves life, and it was such a pleasure to be interviewing her. We enjoy the Generation X, right? But we gotta find out about you. You know, how, how did the X and X-Men and, and the other comics enter your life? So, Paul, why don't you tell us your origin story? So I grew up in Miami during the late 80s, early 90s, and there wasn't much of a comic book scene. This was Miami during like the cocaine wars, and it wasn't a very safe place to go out and like bicycle ride. But there was a comic book store at the end of Calle Ocho, right before you get to the Everglades. And my abuela one day didn't want to take me and my primo out, and my primo was collecting the Fleer Ultra 94s. Do you do you remember those? Oh sure, yeah. So he was collecting them, and we just kind of like got on our bikes and we and we went down Cayocho and we went to this comic book store that was called Line Drive Beeper and Comics. So they sold comic books, and the rest of the store was beepers. I I don't really remember it, but he bought a pack of the Fleer Ultras, and he got an extra Rogue. I guess he had already had Rogue, and he was just here like Paul, go ahead, Paul, take this. And I was just so enchanted by rogue and that was sort of that card was my gateway drug to the x-men i just i needed to know more like 
Why was her name unrevealed? You know, what do you mean she can't touch people? Like, what does that mean? You know, like my poor little nine, 10 year old brain couldn't wrap my head around that. So from there, I just, I started watching the animated series. I started collecting the comic books. And yeah, my love for X-Men just grew from there. It's just, it's been a lifelong obsession like 30 years later. Wow, that is fantastic. So as you started reading comics and buying comics, what were some of your favorite titles? Beyond that, did you branch out very much? And then that, how did Wizard enter the picture for you in terms of affecting your enjoyment of what you were reading and your collecting habits? Bro, it's... Again, there wasn't much of a comic book scene, so the very few times I would go out to a mall or a neighborhood that there was a comic book store, I just begged my parents to let me go in there. And I started religiously collecting comic books with that Rogue miniseries back in 1995. Do, do you remember that one? Oh, I bought it too with Belladonna and everything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And they, well, there was something about that cover. It was like Rogue's name was foil, like this gold foil on the cover, and she was kind of like Superman with her like arms out and she just looks so strong and and as i'm talking to you right now i realize rogue was a gateway x-men for me because i i I usually credit storm as my love for the x-men but a lot of it did begin with rogue and so then i started collecting that rogue miniseries and I think they were on issue two once I got to it. So I was able to get the first and the second issue. And then I would go back where I called the comic book store monthly just to see when the new issue was coming out. So this was like before the internet, you know, like mm-hmm. kids today, they have it so easy. They can go on Comixology. They can see the pull list. Like I would pick up the phone book and look up line drive deeper and comics and then get their number and call them. But that's when I started really collecting the comic books. And then I had the X-Men board game. The video games were such a big part for me as well. I just played all the video games and i was eagerly anticipating the ex-women video game for sega genesis which you know sadly never came out wow i didn't even hear that rumor that's interesting i didn't know that was in the pipeline no it was a sequel to the sega genesis or the original x-men sega genesis game you know the one where you had to turn off the console just to complete the game do you remember that one (laughs) yeah I, i do recall so i don't know wait wait i don't know if it was a direct sequel but it was part of that circle and they just stopped producing it midway through, but it was going to be Rogue, Storm, and Jean. Those were going to be your playable characters. And uh, I think there's a Wikipedia page dedicated to to it, actually. And, and I'm just so bummed it never got made. But yeah, I started reading the comic books on my own fully when I was 17 and I had a car. And that's when I started going, you know, weekly to my comic book store. And I was picking up like X-Men, Generation X, getting all the back issues I could and collecting some of those like tail end toy biz figures. Like they did a new mutants line towards the end mm-hmm. with like magic and Wolfsbane. And so I was able to get those. But Wizard, funny enough, entered my life probably around sixth grade, maybe around the time the Generation X movie came back. Um, All roads lead back to that Generation X movie. <laughs> but it was issue number 60. And that was the one where Hulk was on the cover and it was their five-year anniversary. And I opened it up and they had an ad for the Light Up series, you know, the X-Men Toy Biz Light Up series. Oh yeah, that gambit was amazing. Well, you know, initially we were disappointed, or or at least the the, the toy message board at Marvel, (laughs) you know, keyword Marvel on AOL. 
we were disappointed because Psylocke's hair was not windblown as as was the final product. It was actually kind of laid flat. So people were like, what happened to Psylocke's hair? <laughs> but um, that was the first issue I picked up about, of Wizard. And it was the first time that I was actually ingesting comic book news and finding out what was going on in the history. So again, I probably started really being a huge X-Men comic book fan when I was about 10, 11. So at 12, I'd already got in Wizard and I was entering this whole new world. And it was just so, I don't know, I felt like I, I found like my mecca like my people and everything well that's awesome yeah i mean and i feel like that was for a lot of people when you were you know maybe the lone comics fan in your area or you were looking to expand your knowledge and your connection wizard was there for you you know it made you feel like okay there's other people interested in this they're actually clever they're funny and they're also going to teach me a few things and help me celebrate what i love so what was your path then to becoming an intern at wizard so when i was graduating from college, I, I was graduating with an English writing degree. And I very much so wanted to do the New York writer scene. And I started applying for internships just everywhere. The New York Times, you know, the Paris Review. And someone told me, it's like, you like comic books, why don't you try to do something at Marvel or DC, you know, or any other publication. So I printed out these intern packets that I had made with like my writing samples and cover letters. And I made one from Marvel and DC. And then I was like, I got to do Wizard. And so it's a really curious process what happened. I actually ended up getting an internship at Top Cow Magazine. Oh. Renee Gearlings, Gearlings, I don't know how to say her last name, but she was one of the first people I sent out like my resume and my clips to. And she was here like, well, we're looking for an editorial intern this fall. It's in California. Would you be interested? And I was obviously like, I loved Witchblade. I loved Hunter Killer, everything they were doing at the time. And I was like, heck yes, man. Like, I want to go to California. They're in Santa Monica Boulevard. I, you know, this would be a, a dream come true. They they published Midnight Nation. Did you ever read Midnight Nation? No, that one doesn't jump out at me. It's, it's about this cop. He has to walk from California to New York, and it's sort of his penance for, for his life and coming to terms with his relationship. And it was one of those comic books I read that, like, they read me. And there was so much deep symbolism, and every time I revisited, there was, there was so much layers to the story. So I was so excited for Top Cow. I was like, that's it. This is great. What else do I need? But then Joe Yonarella messaged me, and he was here like, hey, Paul, we just got your application. Would you be interested in interviewing? We're kind of slammed with San Diego Comic-Con, maybe we can set some time to speak in like the coming weeks. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, Joe. Or I didn't call him Joe. I called him Mr. Yonarella. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds absolutely wonderful. But then at the time, my boyfriend, now husband, got a job at Madison Square Garden in New York. So like, we were most likely going to move to New York. So I was like, okay, Top Cow is going to work. Hopefully Wizard will work. But in the period between where I was talking to Joe and like when I heard back from him, Mary Sprouse, who is the VP of HR at Marvel, reached out to me and told me, do I want to come in for an interview? And then I kind of organized something with like James Chan. And then I was already in New York and I was offered a position at Marvel. Wow. Now this is a whirlwind. Yeah. These choices, choices. Whirlwind. I know. So by the time I heard from Joe again, he, he messaged me back like, Hey, do you have 
some time to talk and I'm forgetting who the HR person was at Wizard. I think her name was Christine. But by the time I got back to to Joe, I was like, hey, I'm really sorry. I just accept. I was honest with him. I said, I just accepted this position at Marvel. You know, can I apply again in the future? This, I just jumped at this opportunity. So that's unfortunately where I had to end it with Joe. But then when I was done at Marvel, I was kind of I was having a conversation with Axel Alonso and Nick Lowe, and I really wanted to be I wanted to be part of the X-Men group, you know, and Daniel Ketchum was there and he was just so smart and he interviewed me and we had lunch and and we just had like a really great conversation back and forth about what what is a comic book editor. And it just kind of nagged me a little bit because I, it's not that I didn't want to be a comic book editor. I wanted to write. I wanted to really report on what was going on in comics. So, you know, I messaged Joe again, you know, and this is probably like six months later. I go, hey, Mr. Yonarella, I don't know if you remember me. I'm ready now. I live in New York. I'm, I'm happy to come in, interview, whatever you need. And And he wrote back literally, dude, like Adam, he like got back to me like two hours later. And then wow. I jumped on a phone call with him. We talked about my time at Marvel. 15 minutes, like, again, the, the HR person, Christine, was on the line. And that's it. Like, the next day, they offered me the internship. And just so the people were listening, the internship at Wizard was paid. And it was paid very well. And they treated you as staff. And that's exactly... So it's not like I'm getting coffee or I'm going to be regressing back. Right, because that's I, what I was going to ask. I was like, why would you go to an internship you already were working at Marvel? Yeah. Well, I was working at Marvel and then I was freelance writing for The Advocate and some other literary journals, you know, already in like Brooklyn that I were kind of like growing at the time. But I made it very clear when I was talking to to Joe that I, I'm coming in as a writer. I really want to write, you know, and, and, and he assured me there's plenty of work to be done because... They were just, dude, this is so gnarly to even say. It was 2006, 2007. They didn't really have a website. They were just launching the website. So they needed, it was an all hands on deck. Like you had to write for them. Yeah, it's 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 so fascinating because everybody that comes in, in your era, they're like, yeah, there was no website. And then we talked to Buddy Scalera. He's like, we set up a website back in the 90s. You know, <laughs> it, just, it just didn't ever get like a foothold. It was never a major presence. It existed, but apparently nobody was ever going to it or using it on, on any regular basis. Yeah. So, you know, Joe assured me that there there was plenty of work I would not be. He he said it himself, like, we're, we're not hiring you to be a coffee getter or I don't know what, like, coffee go getter or whatever the, the term is. But he said, like, we you're going to be part of our staff. You will be treated as such. You will be paid as such. You're just, you know, your your title's intern. So I was like, great. What are your cross streets in the city? <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's here because I was living in Manhattan at the time. And he was here like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, you are like an hour and 20 minutes away from us. You're coming to Congress, New York. I believe that's why it was called Congress, New York. Yep. And my husband and I rented a car just to drive out there. Like we had to print out MapQuest instructions to like test drive the commute. And Joe, by the way, Joe told me he was here like, seriously, consider the fact that you will be driving an hour and a half from the city to Congress every day. And we have a lot of people here that that got burnt, you know, doing that commute, you know, just make sure this is something you want to do. And I did it on like a Sunday afternoon. And 
it would be so easy because again, I grew up in Miami. Like we had traffic bumper to bumper. That was like nothing, man, you know? But I had to do like the Monday morning rush outside of the city, go through the Lincoln Tunnel, which by itself is like 40 minutes to get through. Uh... It was insane, man. But um, it was it was worth every every penny. So that's kind of like how I got. I, I hope I answered the question. That's a very yeah, for sure. Yeah, that that was a journey. <laughs> now, how would you describe, just generally speaking, like the atmosphere of the office when you arrived? Did you have a certain expectation from reading? And who do you remember as kind of like the friendly faces? They were all friendly. Everyone was so dope when I first started, man. Like, I was like 22. I was coming from the city. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I just got a reservation at bed. And they're like, huh? What, what do you mean bed? I'm like, this rad bar. And they're like, okay, but the new 52 is out. So <laughs> can we talk about that in our roundup and have any expectations? Because like, Adam, Miami, again, no comic book scene. Like some of my friends were into comic books, but there wasn't like a store I could go to where I, where I met like-minded people. I only had Wizard. So I had no expectations. I didn't know that groups like that existed until like in IRL. I always thought it was just like the internet or, or what you read. And Ben Morris was one of the first people I met. He was so incredible incredibly kind and you know if i ever had a question or you know he knew i was a big x-men fan if there was any story that was brewing he'd let me sit in on it and just like observe him kyle fegley i believe was there too and he was i believe him and ben had the same position which they were staff writers mike cotton shanti collins mel kyo who is so so incredibly great and you know just talking to them like that first day I, I felt like I had reached a community that I didn't know I needed to be a part of. And Joe, when I first started, <laughs> gave me a tour of the of, of the warehouse. I was going to say a tour of the White House, of course. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> you wish. <laughs> uh, no, he gave me a tour of like the entire like facilities. And again, this is like a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. And again, I had come from Miami, you know, like pool in your backyard, the ocean, ninety degree weather, and now I'm like in this random warehouse in the middle of like Congress, New York, and it's like 30 degrees and snowing outside. I'd never even seen snow. And there was another editor there too named Eric, who was from Florida as well, or he graduated from University of Florida. I don't know whatever happened to him, but he was also very kind with me with, you know, with the learning curve and figuring everything out. And so like day to day then, like what, what did you feel the purpose of you needing to be in the office was then? Because did you just, you just had a desk, you got your assignment, you did some writing, did you have to pitch articles? Like how, how did things fall into your lap in terms of work to be done? That's it. It, it was sort of, it was a dream job. And it's so funny because I, I credit wizard my experience at wizard for my ability to know how to pitch how to talk to editors how to you know chase a story because i started there was a blank canvas i sat with someone named david and then another person named ricky and then another one named, and then me and this guy named matt and then the toy fair intern also sat next to me so it was us around this long table with ricky and david sitting at their own desks behind us and we were basically told it's your it's your playing field. So whatever you want. So I met with Rick Marshall my first day and he just asked me, 
but you want to write for the for the website. That's it. And, and Rick Marshall, by the way, I don't know. Have you? I think you mentioned you have spoken to Rick. Yeah, Marshall, yeah, right? we had a nice conversation with Rick for sure. Rick has gone on to do such incredible things, and my impression at the time was that he was spearheading the website. Is that correct? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So he just basically sat down, sat me down, and again, I I'm a fresh face. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. He's like, "What do you want to do? What do you want to write?" And I said, "Well, I'm really into Marvel comics. You know, I know there's something happening with Norman Osborn right now." But why don't we do like a top 10, you know, his greatest sins in like the Marvel universe. And I wrote that first piece called Sinfully Green. And in it, I, I lo- I'm very proud of this because in it, I said his reign is nigh. And this was before Dark Reign was a thing or I, you know, I, I even knew it. <laughs> But maybe like a couple of days after the story ran, he came to me and he was here like, it's like number two or number one on the website. Like, it's insane. We just got like these really great hits. Because again, back then you didn't have these websites that did like top tens or more op-ed style lists. So that sort of was the job. Just sit down and pitch and, and sort of make it your own. You, you were assigned stories, of course. And I was assigned the New 52 column with Kyle and David. And I believe Civil War had just happened or was on the horizon. So I think like Ben and someone else were, were covering that. But for the most part, it was if I felt there was a story I wanted to do, they always encouraged me to go to their archives, which was this big room upstairs and they i don't want to be shady but like it, it, it was they, they really blew it up they're like oh we have this room with like all of these comics and everything is like geek paradise and you walk in and it's great i mean there's so much in there but it was it was very much like a very large you know room with with comic books everywhere and you can just go through the stacks and and just read you know whatever you wanted to and, and form a story from there and also and i remember this because that was the first thing I, I was shocked about with my norman osborne piece i actually had to go into that room and pull out the issues of certain scenes that I was talking about and flag them for production. So they knew which images to pull and they actually scanned them or they had to find the rights for it. I, d- I don't know what the process was like, but I actually had to flag those. Yeah, that's what we heard. Lots of sticky notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a lot of sticky notes. I mean, again, this is before you had like the internet and all that stuff. You, you really had to do a lot of your own work and they had a process that was down tight. So, you know, when I tell you I walked in and it was a blank canvas, that's exactly it. I didn't necessarily report to just, well, I think I reported to Joe, but I still like, I was just thrown into the bullpen and there really was no power dynamic. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah, everybody's just like trying to, you know, put something out and get the magazine <laughs> together. And this is what I want to write. Great. Do it. Get it yeah. done. And I know Rick specifically said he was desperate for content. So yeah, you're helping him out in a major way. But so as that was developing in the camaraderie is building were there any hijinks that you could recall in the office or you know any particular because i mean i assume you were driving in and driving out every day so maybe you weren't sticking around after hours i think some of the guys lived a little bit closer to the office right yeah yeah i think i remember there they, they everyone was really tight and by the way it was such a tight-knit group but they were so welcoming like man like i started and when i tell you that like i probably look like a timid little like deer or something like they they were so kind to me and Ben Morris and Dylan I don't remember Dylan's last name but they they were pretty tight and they invited me to lunch I I got into their car and we went to like this big mall like one of the it's one of the biggest malls actually in the state of New York that's just like down the street and we went to the cheesecake factory yeah we went to the cheesecake factory I was like yes this is gonna awesome (laughs) what hijinks do I remember though Mm, 
I, you know, what was really big in the office, the office was divided. You had your lost fans and you had your Battlestar Galactica fans. <laughs> it's interesting. Like back then you were either a lost fan or a BSG fan. And I was a BSG fan and it was, it was very fun to talk about it, but no man, everyone was chill. Everyone was like super cool, like totally like down to earth. And it was, it was a great, it was a great place to be as a emerging writer. Yeah, no, this is a question I have for you. Having come from Marvel and then working at Wizard, I assume you had contacts at Marvel. Were you able to use those? And do you recall what the Marvel office's stance on Wizard was at this time? Did they still consider them like a viable partner for promotion? Had they have a good relationship there? You know, that's interesting. I don't remember what the relationship was like. I know Jim McCon was doing publicity at Marvel. So he sort of ferried a lot of the conversation between at least the, what I was working on. And he seemed like a really pleasant person. Agent M. Do you know who I'm talking about? Ryan Panagos? Panagos? Yeah, Agent M. He was at Wizard and then he went to Marvel. And obviously he's gone on to be like a really great guy and, and just really media facing. If you see any of the Marvel content now, that's like television or, you know, live from San Diego. He's usually part of it. But Ryan, I spoke with him. I forgot. I think I reached out to Ben on Facebook. And I was like, hey, man, like, I'm going to be starting at Wizard soon. Like, any advice? I'm at Marvel right now. He goes, oh, go talk to my friend Ryan. And so I went to go talk to Ryan. And Ryan was just like, you're going to have a really great time there. So I was in the, in the custom publishing division at Marvel. And then I was trying to get... So basically, the custom publishing division was Amtrak or like Office Max would want a comic book specifically tailored to them. Yes, I've heard of these. Yeah. So like, Spider-Man will be like fighting Doctor Doom on, you know, on Amtrak and then, you know, or another one like the Fantastic Four needed to go to like Office Max. So I started really talking to Axel and like Daniel Ketchum and all those fellows there because I really wanted to make the leap into like comic book editorial. So they loved Wizard. There was nothing contentious. You know, I think the Messiah story, Messiah Complex story was coming up and Wizard kind of was already kind of getting the information from there. And I remember sitting in a meeting with Ben and other people and we were just finding out about the Messiah story. And it was really, really great. Now, you know, you're mentioning some of the names at Marvel so on the editorial side did you ever get a chance to interview or be starstruck by a comics creator that you admired yeah probably like my biggest story when I was there was Joss Whedon and <laughs> it, it's a really great story actually so I was sitting down with Andy Sherwin and we were talking about like oh you know Astonishing X-Men's kind of wrapping up he's doing Buffy you know there's a rumor that he may be directing Wonder Woman why don't we do a story you know about Joss Whedon and I said something to the effect of why don't we do the ABCs of Joss Whedon and we'll do like A stands for Angel and we'll like kind of go through that and like B stands for Buffy and you know and they were like, that's great. And I said something to the effect of, like, wouldn't that be awesome if we could get Joss's input on this? And literally the next day, Andy came up to me and was like, we have Joss and you're going to interview him. And I was like, 
holy shit, you know, to paint that scenario for you. I had been there for like maybe like two or three months. And when I tell you that they treated interns like staff writers, there was no discrimination, you know, in terms of power, you know, no power dynamics or imbalance. They were just a bunch of guys who just sat down, talked about comic books and, and wanted to hammer out some of the best stories. I think Joe Yanarella like oversaw everything to make sure the ship was running tight, but like the core like bullpen was just like, what can we do? Like, what kind of stories can we make? Who pitched it and who gets credit for it? Because certainly at other publications that I, I would go on to work for, you would pitch a story and then like a senior writer kind of got that. And you're like, ah. but no, man, I got to interview Joss Whedon and, you know, I asked him a bunch of questions and then Mark Silvestri. Oh, nice. And you're like, hey, I used to, <laughs> I got a chance to, to work at your magazine or whatever. Well, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to talk about like, hey, I got a job at Top Count. I said no because I wanted to come to New York instead. But no, um, <laughs> he was so great. Like, I, I said something to him. Like, I did fanboy. Like, Joss, I, 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 I had my reporter hat on, but with Mark, you, you have to understand, this is like a couple of years since Here Comes Tomorrow happened. Grant Morrison's Here Comes Tomorrow, where Jean Grey is in the white hot room and she becomes white phoenix and she psychically like pushes Scott to be with Emma. And I literally fanboyed out with Mark Spastry. It's and I, and I followed at the time Bridget, his wife, who had two Pomeranians as well. I had two <laughs> Pomeranians. So like I was invested in, in just like Mark as a human and I just loved everything about him. And he was telling me about like seeing a stormtrooper dressed up as uh, as Elvis and that's why he does what he does because this is a community of love and of passion and he was just so like my god like what a great person and and then I interviewed Greg Pak as well and I said Pak to him I was like hi Greg Pak and he's here like it's Pak so, <laughs> you know, he kind of corrected me there. But he was great, too, because, again, he wrote Phoenix End Song, War Song, and World War Hulk, I believe. And those were just such great comic books that, for the time, really were just standout superstars. And I'm trying to remember someone's name, and I, he wrote Witchblade. He was a big Witchblade fan, and he did the firstborn crossover for Witchblade. Ron Mars, there we go. Oh, sure, yeah. Like, Ron Mars, like, I was his, like, liaison with, like, the wizard staff. So he sent me all of his notes for Firstborn, and it was it was just great, man. Like, it's you're like a kid in a candy factory, and you have all of these, you know, creators. And, you know, on one hand, you just want to be chill and, like, hey, like, tell me about this. And then the next, you're just, like, a raging fanboy. But Yeah, it's so interesting in, in our interviews. What we've found is that, you know, meeting your heroes, not such a bad thing after all. There's only, like, the ones that were already known to be controversial or troublemakers. They're like, yeah, that guy's still trouble when you talk to him. But overall, everybody's like, no, it's great. Just everybody in the comics community, you know, that you get a chance to, even though you're not anybody in power, you know, they, they could be your friend. And a lot of people built actual friendships with major, you know, writers and artists and stuff. Yeah, well, it's being part of Wizard. You were like the cool kid on the playground. And I'll never forget Comic-Con 2007. Like, New York Comic-Con was not the thing it is today. Literally, it was like a third of like the Javits and like you went upstairs and like everyone was just like at their boots but I came in with like my wizard like press pass and I had to interview Neil Adams and I was like oh hey Mr. Adams I'm with wizard and I just need to get a quote from you because the way it worked editorially speaking they gave you you have a whole list of people you want to hit up and then they divided it amongst 
the writers. So I, you know, fortuitously got Neil and he was here like, come right here, son, sit right next to me. And I was like, was sitting with Neil Adams as he was signing stuff. And it was, it was great. It, there's no complaints. I, it's just a lot of, lot of joy. And, and so I went from Neil Adams to, Fat Mama, do you remember that superhero? Um, it was from the Stan Lee. Who yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so I go from Neil Adams to Fat Mama, and like I'm, she used to sing the song like Fat Mama, Fat Mama, I'll take your books or whatever. I forget what she said, but I just, dude, like I remember seeing her and be like, oh my god. And by, and by the way, just to be very clear, that was her superhero name. That's the superhero name right. she elected for herself. I'm not, you know, calling her, her her that. She her superhero name was Fat Mama, and she just had this really great demeanor about her and I was so starstruck you know because that was such a big show back then I'm like what was it like meeting Stan Lee oh my god like you were in the top three you know it was her and, and two other people who I'm totally forgetting right now but um and then the oh my god what's her name from Heroes was there Hayden Pattinson yeah. yeah she was there too just right next to Fat Mama and I was just I, I didn't really watch Heroes I was like what's up to her and she was like hey and I was like and someone's like that's a cheerleader from Heroes and so it was it was just such a very glorious time. It was this weird and, and this was a vibe at Marvel too. It was almost like you were still indie enough to be indie, but you were kind of on the cusp of going mainstream. Mm-hmm. And it 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 was it was that little strip between Fantastic Four Two and the first Iron Man movie and, and that very specific time. That's awesome. Now, I mean, it sounds like you're saying, you know, very uh, enjoyable experience overall, but do you ever remember any drama coming through or like in the industry in general, like, oh, this was the big story at the time, you know, people were upset. Like, I'm just, I'm, like you're saying for that period of time, was there anything that you recall like, oh, that was a crazy day? Okay, so for the industry in general, I don't I don't want to say I wasn't privy to information because people were very friendly and, and talked a lot about what was going on. I think from what I remember was the transition to online. You know, I think that was pretty rough at like a certain point. And it was just because you didn't, no one knew what they were doing. It's not like the answer you have today. I mean, we literally went, they literally went from a print magazine and then they started to have to transition online. And what did that look like? I do remember a lot of conversations being focused on that and Rick just being the man around the office. Like Rick knew what he was doing. He knew what kind of content, you know, he wanted to pump out and what you just said about him, you know, he was just desperate, not desperate for content, but he was just taking content, just wanted it. I do exactly remember him saying those words to me. So that's what I remember in terms of an industry and, and the company. I, dude, I was like 22 out of call. I wanted to get back into the city and like party and like Chelsea. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I wasn't too invested in the overall work drama. I was also told not to get invested, like from like my dad and everyone, you know, like don't hmm. get invested in the work drama. But for me personally, I did have a couple like dramatic bits. And one of them was me and Ben had just seen the X-Men 200 cover with all the X-Men on it. And Jim McCann was like, oh, did we get everyone that's supposed to be on the cover? And because I'm a diehard X-Men fan, I was like, Nate Gray is not on this cover. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to like kind of almost try to convince him. I, I don't know. I, I never spoke to him directly. Ben was like, yeah, I'm letting him know on your and your." Yeah, but I was like, mm. like Nate is definitely an X Man. Like I will pull out those issues. He is the X Man. He is the X Man, <laughs> Um, justice for Nate. Um, but other thing was after I interviewed Joss Whedon, 
Uh, or l- let me back up a little bit. When I was interviewing Joss Whedon, the way when you interview one of like the bigger celebrities, the way it was handled at Wizard was a clipboard would go around and you would write a question you had. Like, so everyone oh. would insert a question you had. So it, this was true also for captions. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. We've heard about it for the captions and all the jokes, but we never heard about it for interviews. So that's interesting. A clipboard went around asking questions for Joss. And, you know, I had some questions I wanted to ask, but Andy, or at least I think it was Andy, it could have been Brian Cunningham who made the final call. But regardless, Andy came to me and it was here like, these are your questions to ask Joss. And this is because at the time he also banked those responses for future stories, at least Mm. the way I remember it. Like I got a lot of traction out of this 30 minute conversation with Joss. And so I I had a list of questions that I was supposed to ask him and and dealt with Buffy. You know, at the time, I was curious about how they were going to explain Buffy being in Rome in the Angel series and then in the comic book. And And that was sort of my question. But I had to ask some questions that they wanted to know, like from an editorial perspective. And again, at the time, he was rumored to be directing the Wonder Woman movie. So one of the questions that was provided to me, not my own, was who would you cast as Wonder Woman? And I don't think he liked that question. <laughs> he he kind of did like a Hulk voice and was like, Joss Whedon, angry. <laughs> And I was like, mm, okay, Mr. Whedon, like, it's fine. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're such big fans. Like, we don't have to answer that question. Like, we can just move on. And so he was a little upset by that. And again, it could have been just me being a very wound tight 22 year old who's just playing by the book. Maybe I didn't exhibit too much of personality. Maybe that, that question just came out intrusive or wrong, but he, for whatever reason, was not very happy with that question. And so he, he complained about me. Oh, wow. And and some of the guys at Marvel was like, wait, who interviewed you? And he was you know, like, oh, it was Paul Flores. Or that was the name, you know, his assistant gave. And they're like, Paul from, you know, the intern? Why do they have Paul the intern interviewing you? So then it, it kind of went to Brian Cunningham. And Brian had to, like, take me into the office and explain to me that Joss was pretty upset. <laughs> and a complaint. I know. It's, with the question the, you were given. With question, yeah. With the question I was given. I mean, now we know. Now we know that Joss was, you know... It's a little bit more difficult to work with. At the time, this was like a major player in the comic book scene. He was writing X-Men. He did Buffy. He was going to direct the episode of The Office. You know, he was a big deal. And Yeah, but it's like you go in there, you're like, Brian, you set me up. You set me up. Oh, my gosh. I wish I – I think I had like a panic attack in front of Brian. And (laughs) and he was very kind to me. I don't know if you've ever spoken to Brian. but We're we're going to in the future. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. He's such a nice, very like mellow, kind of like one-beat guy. He's just like that cool guy in like the corner who like has all the perfect words but it's not very like you know very vocal and so I, he was here like oh, take a breather <laughs> like, take a breather go out to lunch or something like that and then Mel took me out to lunch and was like how are you doing you know you're kind of at the center of a controversy here and, and and they were very kind and I thought that would be the end of like my life there and all that stuff but it turned <laughs> out it, it really wasn't no one cared like the next day I was like I have my tape here you can you know I, I, I interviewed him in front of everyone it wasn't like oh. I was in a room like I was at my desk with like Matt and like I'm forgetting again the Toy Fair intern and, and Ricky and David were behind me so I wasn't I think they came to my defense and they were like he wasn't being rude at all or yeah. stuff like that but anyway so that was like my big controversy with them and and probably I'd, I'd love telling that story because people are like what's wizard and then I, I talk about Joss and <laughs> 
<laughs> he also asked who's Joss, and I'm like, well, the creator of Buffy, and he directed the Avengers. But the staff at Wizard were so kind to me about that, and and that was sort of like a learning experience for me. Yeah, that's the other thing we hear from former staffers is, you know, they get to reference their time at Wizard, and nobody knows what they're talking about. It's so big for its time, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. Remember how big this thing was, how influential this publication was for its time. I love your intro, because you're like, you guys are born out of the comic boom of the, the 90s, and Wizard was right there. It, that that was like ground zero of comic books. And when I tell my friends, oh, I used to work at this place called Wizard Magazine, some of them would just be like, oh, so what did you do at The Wizard? And I'm like, <laughs> no, like, you don't get it. But it's, I learned a lot, and man, like, the editorial deadlines and everything i i pumped out a lot of content i mean more so than i again i was working at out magazine the advocate and maybe i filed like two or three stories an issue but wizard it was like i want to say something like 20 stories a month it was wow. it was gnarly it was a lot i mean the the website what was going in there and then you sat in on editorial meetings where shanti collins would transcribe your conversation and then you had to like review some of like you know lesser known issues and they would just get a blurb so it was it, it was a lot of work it, it was great. It was wonderful. I have no qualms about that. Yeah, and I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned a lot of the names behind the scenes in the industry, but there's one name that hasn't come up yet. So, Paul, we must ask you, Garib Sheamus, cool or fool? Non-existent for me. Non-existent. <laughs> I never met him. I, I never saw him. I, I think he came to the office. The the unnamed HR person told me that he came in one day with Seth Green. I, I could be making that story up. And that everyone was so excited and, and she was so happy she got to meet Seth Green. But I never met him and I don't really have an opinion on him. He was just very absent for me. What have the other... Well, you're not alone. Yeah, I mean, he he was something of a phantom, according to everybody else, where it was just yeah. kind of like, yeah, we uh, we knew of him, <laughs> but he didn't know our names if we did meet him, and uh, so there wasn't much of a relationship there. That's that's what we're hoping to hear from when we talk to Brian. Be like, tell us about the real Garib. <laughs> yeah. Well, Brian was really good friends with him, right? Am I remembering yeah. the origin story correctly? They were like, he's like OG. Brian worked at his parents' comic book store, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like they, he's like OG inner circle. Yeah, I, I, I maybe just making this up. I do have this vague memory of him being in the office and me sitting in the bullpen and him being in the far back walking away with Joe. But he was like the Wizard of Oz. He was. <laughs> oh yeah, the Wizard. The big cheese behind the curtain. Yes. Yeah, I actually have not even thought about him until you mentioned his name right now. <laughs> but I loved his magazine and. He created a culture that I that really like sprung a lot of love for me. So now, did you? Because you said you were there oh six or oh seven, and then you decided to move on. What were the what were the reasons behind that? So I really wanted to be New York based. I kind of wanted to report on politics. So I was at the Advocate magazine at the time, and I just got more work there. And the commute was, you know, it was an hour and a half commute. I was driving this like beaten down like Pontiac Sunfire that that belonged to like my my husband and it just we were moving deeper into the city and it just wasn't feasible anymore and and that was it but i i will say i i wouldn't have made that decision now because i i didn't realize at the time how rare that opportunity was hmm. it was 
you just got a lot of work and they treated you well. And then again, there was no power dynamic. It was very equal. No one ever pulled rank. No one ever challenged you on a story or your opinion. Like I'm forgetting like one story I wrote. It, it wasn't controversial at all. I just, I forgot what I was saying in it. And someone was just like, oh yeah, well, I don't think that, but like this, I think when we were reviewing like All-Star Superman or something, like I read into like the subtext. I was like, this is like postmodern, like identity shattered, you know, like <laughs> something ridiculous that only an English major at 22 would say. And I think one of them was just like, maybe just wrangle that in a little bit. But um, it just like when I would go on to work at like other places and other publications, I mean, it's just like... Like you very much know you're a coordinator, you're an assistant, or you're just a writer, you're just, you know, you occupy just one hat. And at Wizard, everyone just had such a love for the magazine. Again, and I think it was a lot of the culture, and I, I really do want to give the credit to Kyle and Ben and, and Dylan and, and Rick Marshall and this other guy, Ricky and David. They really fostered a, a culture of being very inclusive. And again, I was I was writing for The Advocate. I was an out LGBTQIA plus like person. I didn't know what, you know, it was 2006. I didn't know how I'd fit in. Bro, they did not care at all. They were so friendly. They never challenged or made me feel stupid. And they were always there to give me great advice. So like Andy and Mel were just like those those people you wanted to be. And, and dude, and then I was, they loved Toy Fair so much. Zach Oates was the EIC there. Mm-hmm. And I like talked to him every day. <laughs> like I would just go to his desk and he was also a big Battlestar Galactica fan. And we would just talk about Battlestar Galactica and he made me like a free guy's shirt. And it was just like such a really great time you know what i mean yeah that's wonderful did, did you end up keeping any mementos from that time when you moved on i mean obviously there's a huge warehouse of things were there books or any other collectibles you decided to take home that were offered okay i'm gonna be i'm just gonna give you like the tea here so when i had my first issue published you could go to like the warehouse like so you had the offices and then you walk towards back and then there was like the warehouse and that's where they shot like twisted toy fair or you know you would sit down and you would do like photo anything that needed to be shot there or you would eat lunch there as well and they also had like all like the stacks of the magazines that were just coming out for us and again i was like 22 24 you know, around that age. And I just like would pick up stacks of like the issue with like my articles in it, you know what I mean? Because I couldn't believe it. I would just like start the mass ad. But till this day, such guilt, because I had to take some issues from the archives home with me to read and, you know, study. And there was no formal process for checking out these issues. You just went upstairs and you got them. And and I forget what the issues were. There, was, I think it was like Batman Gothic or something like that. And I, I never returned that. And I feel so guilty about that. <laughs> like, when did they fold? Oh eight. Yeah. Well, no, it was actually it was 2011. So they hung out a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. So I still have all of my interview tapes, and then I have the script for Madame Mirage, which was a Top Cow title created by Paul Dini. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but it, it was kind of like their answer to Zatanna. Mm-hmm. And I, I just moved into an, a new apartment and I just found that script and I was like, mm, memories. So uh, I have all that. And like the firstborn crossover for Witchblade that Ron Mars sent me, I have that as well. Oh, that's great. Now, uh, you've moved on, you know, you continue your writing, but you have another gig as an auctioneer these days. So <laughs> have you ever ended up auctioning off comic-related items at work? I did. Actually, the first auction I did by myself, I had to auction off this local comic book artist. He he drew um, 
the Spider-Man portrait. And then he did another one with the Wonder Woman. And it was one of the lot, my first lots I had to sell. And it was, it was great. There was so much excitement in the crowd because obviously Wonder Woman is a cultural icon and Spider-Man as well. I think it was before Tom Holland. So we're talking about like the Andrew Garfield era and people were excited for that too, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Like it, I didn't think I would ever have to use like my comic book knowledge for auctioning, but it comes up quite a bit. Well, that is fantastic. Well, you know, Paul, this is a lot of fun. It's wonderful to hear that it was such an enjoyable experience for you and the people were so great that it's kind of that, uh, that dream that you even wish you could have that work environment today, right? You know, you're saying that it's just that, that moment in time and the group of people, the right mix. So that's that's great to hear. But it sounds like, you know, you, you got a lot of other opportunities to be out there connecting with people. So why don't you tell the folks where they can find you online in multiple capacities? Yeah, I'm the co-host of Generations of X. My moniker is Dayspring, and we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. So you can check us out there. Um, my personal Instagram is Mr. Paul Flores, and you can hit me up if you have any questions about auctioneering. If you want to talk about writing, I just accepted a position at Slice Magazine as the interviews editor, and uh, I'm actually shopping around my my memoir right now. It's called Flacco, so it's being circulated through publishers right now. So, is there a chapter about Wizard in it? Uh, yeah, actually, I do talk about Wizard. The early twenties, your early twenties. It, it's such a magical time. It, well, it's funny, and it, it's also in my book proposal. I have Wizard in my book proposal. In that, that's part of like my CV, my curriculum vitae, and my you know, and, and my byline. And again, my agent, again, my agent's like, "What's the Wizard? Tell me about the Wizard here." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. Tell you this is like the best magazine ever. Like, man, when I was a comic book fan, even scratch comic book fan, when I was an anime fan, and they were still calling it Jap animation, you know what I mean? Like, you got articles about Sailor Moon being canceled. Like, I don't know how you can translate what that did to you when you were discovering all of these properties and, and stories that weren't readily available to you as they are today and, and how great they were. So, And thank you again, Paul, so much for coming to share your stories with us behind the scenes at Wizard Magazine. But if you want to know what was going on in the pages of Wizard Magazine, then be sure to check out our regularly scheduled episodes every Wednesday. You get either a full coverage of a single issue of Wizard or one of our mini episodes where we have a little extra fun. Plus, you can now find Wizards, the podcast guide to comics on YouTube. That's right. Check us out where we have all sorts of varied videos and more to come. Getting into the nitty gritty of comics collecting and general geekery. And so, until next time, we're closing the files. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.